Welcome everyone to Rules of the Arena episode 34, uh, oh, 35 now, I think. This episode is made possible by Blind Ninja Studios, where you can find this show and others such as Department of Fence, Homebrew Bound, Soundwave, and Legends of Lothos, and my new show called No Story Left Behind. We are also brought to you by Duck Hill Workshop, a small-scale sawmill, and Builders of Fine Furniture. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Duck Hill Workshop, and don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can watch episodes of Workshop Wednesday. In studio with me this week is Casey. He's finally back from his mild case of death there they had. That was, it was a, that was a rough one. <laughs> that was a rough one, I'll tell you what. Ben, unfortunately, can't be here. He's been at a 10-day timber framing class, so I think he's kind of gone radio silent on me this week. So I'm assuming he's gone into a slumber of some sort. More importantly, joining us is via Skype is Sabrina. Re- I honestly don't know how to say her last name. It's Riswig. It's <laughs> Just say Riswig. Riswig. Uh, Josh from Amputee Blade Runners, who you can hear on episode 34, uh, after we wrapped up the recording, I asked Josh if ABR works with other athletes who are in other sports. And Sabrina, you came up immediately. I knew, you know, and after I watched the video of you pulling a truck on YouTube, it's like, I, I got to get you on the show. <laughs> but you are. You know, it, it's funny because that video always gets me a lot of calls. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, you're a wife, mother, an amputee, also an athlete, and you are one of the strongest disabled women in the world. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with us this evening, and please just introduce yourself a little bit for the folks listening. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like, so, as you said, my name is Sabrina Reiswig. Um, I'm a military wife. I'm a mom to two beautiful girls. Um, I am a competing strong woman. Um, I coach kids with limb differences, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. Uh, I'm a world traveler. Uh, we love to travel as a family, and I'm kind of a foodie, but I should probably just say I just like to eat. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah, and I'm an amputee. Uh, notice I didn't throw that in first. Right. Um, so just so that I can eat all the food um, and not gain all the weights, uh, I run with amputee blade runners, and I do strong women challenges slash training. Um, I strive like pretty much my whole life to be quote unquote normal. And then whenever I found that that, that word was actually um, just a synonym for average, uh, I stopped doing that. So, cause I figured that didn't fit. Uh, and then I just, I just wanna do things and, and I refuse to think that it's impossible. Um, I'm always kind of like this MacGyver mind that uh, tries to find a different way of being able to do it. Like if I light this matchbook on fire with a, with a, you know, a paper clip, <laughs> it's going to work out. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much my story. The end, well, I, but it's not the end. We still have a whole podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good night folks. That's all we got. <laughs> well, I got out of here early. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you found out that you're going to need to have your leg amputated, and what was the cause? Uh, I was eight when uh, my parents found out that I had Ewing sarcoma. Uh, It was, um, I had just really, really bad pains in my legs, like extremely bad Charlie horses. And they would take me to the doctor, and of course it never was hurting at that exact moment that I'm in at the doctor's. So I'm trying to describe this as an eight year old to a doctor, like what's going on. And they're like, Oh, I think it's just growing pains. Oh, I think she's just trying to get out of school. Like, I really think she's figured this whole thing out. You know, if she says she hurts, she can get out of class and go home. 
And so months had gone by and then finally like it had gotten so bad. I had passed out in our, our kitchen in our new house and my mom, my mom threatened my dad. She's like, you will go get an x-ray. If you do not get an x-ray, you are not coming home. And my dad's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so um, we went to the doctor's office, I got an x-ray and yeah, it was just, crazy to look at both of my legs and see that one looked fine and then the other one looked like it was Swiss cheese you know there is you can tell that something was really wrong and um, man they like that day slapped a cast on me drew some blood and then uh, scheduled me for uh, a biopsy so uh, I mean it went quick Um, they didn't know that it was cancer at the time I mean, that's not for kids up in the eighties, like I'm old, like I got my gray hair going on. So, um, in the eighties, you know, that wasn't just, that was just not like the number one thing, like boom, cancer, kid cancer. Um, so I remember sitting at like, uh, a Bob's big boy. If you're old like us, like you get what I'm talking about. Um, but anyways, we were sitting around at a table at Bob's big boy and my parents were like going through everything. Like, oh, it might be this, and then you just have to take these pills, and or maybe it's this, and then and then you just have like a little bit of this that you'd have to do, or we we, we do that, or, you know, like they were going through lists and lists and lists and trying to diagnose it, you know. Uh, and they, again, didn't say the C word, you know, it just, it wasn't in their mindset at that time. Um, but yeah, I didn't really react as much because I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, until my parents kind of had to sit me down and was like, hey, it's radiation and you lose your leg or chemotherapy and you lose your leg. Which one would you like to do? And I was like, uh, which one do I want to do? And so my parents kind of explained like what were the benefits and disadvantages and we all kind of made a decision as a family like since there was only two ways to go, like chemotherapy and amputation was just what's going to happen. And, um, you know, two years later I was cancer free so I mean I, I have to I have to call it a blessing even though people think it's a some sort of uh, catastrophe losing a limb like ah it's horrible <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm dead I can't do anything I've lost a leg uh, but you know here we are you know I'm going on 32 years of being an amputee and um uh, I don't know. I guess I don't want to call myself normal. I'm far from normal, <laughs> but I'm at least like living a quote unquote normal life per se, just making everything work and having fun and enjoying it and making sure that I make every, every moment count. Did you, did you or your parents have that kind of, um, uh, state of denial, if you will, when the doctor said cancer for the first time or did they kind of take it in stride? Well, it was kind of hard because my mom, I mean, my mom had already gone through something like this with like a um, a childhood friend that had had cancer whenever they were both cheerleaders in high school. And so it's like my, I think my mom instantaneously kind of like went that uh, bad negative route because I mean, she'd already witnessed it. But I mean, like, come on, it was, this was the 80s. Like my survival rate was like 15%. Like there was just even at that time there were there were leaps and bounds in um, studying cancers but not all of them were being studied and in length 
or in in depth, I guess is what I should say. So even the medical journals at that time were like, this is a pretty much like a deadly cancer. So it was really hard. It hit my my mom really hard. Um, and I mean, understandably so. I'm the only child. So I mean, it would have been, I think, extremely hard on both of my parents, not just my mom. My dad, <laughs> I'm a lot like my dad. Um, as much as don't tell him I said that. <laughs> he knows it, but don't tell him I said that. I'm admitting something that's wrong. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, my dad kind of just, you know, puts on his big boy, you know, pants and he gets to work. I mean, the man worked three jobs just to make sure that we made it from, you know, day to day. And, you know, with having to file bankruptcy on top of it, like this was hard times. Uh, they at some point had to debate whether or not they were going to be able to afford groceries or the medicine um, and the um, cleaning supplies for them to flush my Broviac catheter that I had. Like they had to debate this. And I mean, like this was, this was really, really like a hard time for both of my parents, but, and they like, they, they made it work. They figured it out. And I'm just really happy that, you know, that in itself is a statistic that doesn't pan out very often where your parents stay together and they work together and they, and you know, they come out on the other end, um, having a child that's beat cancer. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it was hard, but I'm just very, very grateful that both of them are who they are. And how did you react? I mean, what was going through your mind being eight years old? I mean, I think I was, five, maybe six years old. And I, I lost family to cancer over the years, but it was the first time I watched somebody go through or heard of chemo. But I remember it didn't really sink into my head until I was probably in high school. And I kind of clicked back like, Oh, that those times that we were visiting grandma at the high school and she's sitting in this big comfy brown leather chair. That was chemo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my reaction was more along the lines of like, obviously (laughs) I didn't want to be in the hospital. Like no one wants to be sick. No one wants to be in the hospital. Like, that's pretty given right so when it came down to it it was feeling icky all the time like you know chemotherapy does a number on you like I would I would lose like eight more limbs wait I only have three left but I would totally lose eight more limbs um than have chemotherapy ever again and the reason is is because chemotherapy like really like sucks the soul out of your body uh, and maybe not so much now, but in back of the day, it really felt like that because, I mean, I just wasn't me. I was sick all the time. I didn't feel like doing much. Um, my taste buds were just jacked up. Like I could look at the color green and just bleh, throw. <laughs> um, I I just um, I wanted to to hang out with my you know my friends. I wanted to hang out with my friends, and I wanted to. Um, you know, just uh, enjoy being a child. And with that, it was um, trying to figure out how I could do that. And I have one of my little ones in here right now. <laughs> Say hi. Okay. <laughs> There's no way around this. I'm right. just going to say. No hey, I got to go. I got to go. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Ouch. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyways, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think that it was just the good days were uh, where I could actually go outside and hang out with other kids. My my what my white blood count had to always be taken into account, like in order for me to hang out with my friends. Like, what's your white blood count? Like, what other kid has to go through that? Right. And so, can you close my door, please? Because you're just gonna distract me, <laughs> you crazy child. Out, out. Thank you. Out. Um. And so, yeah, I mean, that was the hardest part is just being denied the time to spend with friends. Um, being in the hospital wasn't any fun, um, especially when they like wake you up at 3 a.m. They're like, yeah, yeah, we gotta take your blood. <laughs> Yo, I was sleeping. Right. Like what, what part of like, please don't draw blood in the middle of the night, do you not understand? Like, can I just get some sleep here? Or at least do it so, while I'm asleep. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like if you didn't wake me up and you just pulled blood, like that would be so much easier. Like I had a catheter; it's not like they couldn't do it. Oh, I better be tied down out cold because if you if I wake up to a needle near me, somebody's getting. Oh, well, the needle's yeah. already in you. That Gordon. is when irrational fear, Gordon, comes out. Yeah. And I, you know, I really was. I hated needles. I just hated it. Um, and of course, like I was, I was relentless. Um, the first time. They had to give me like an MRI or something like that. They had to put the dye in my, or a CAT scan, I can't remember, but they had to put the dye in my in my body. It took the physician doing the actual scan, two nurses and my mom to hold me down. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even like, I'm like 38 pounds, okay? Like I'm 38 pounds. <laughs> it's taken four people to hold me down to get die in my body in order for them to do the scan. And I mean, like that was, that was the type of kid I was. I was like, you're not going to do this to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it made life interesting for my parents. I'm sure I, I made it so much easier for them. Did your friends understand what was going on? I mean, what did they think when, or did you tell them that you were going to have your leg amputated or that you had to go through chemo or anything like that? Where again, being kids, I yeah. didn't really process with them. You know, I, I really feel like this is a great question for like this pivotal moment that happened. So um, here I am, I'm in the second grade. This is whenever I get diagnosed with cancer. I had literally been in the second grade for two days before they like took me out, put me in the hospital and then homes, I had to homeschool for the lap, for the rest of the year. Um, and then I started, started coming back during my third grade year and it wasn't all the time and I was still kind of like in and out of class and trying to keep up with everything was really hard. Um, but the friend aspect of it, like, so here I was, I, I showed up for two days with a leg. I had all my body parts and then in the third grade I show up and I'm missing one. And um, Kellen Covington, man, like I, I always attribute this to Kellen, you know, she was, uh, a popular girl in third grade and she I guess it just didn't bother her or it was one of those things I don't know if it was like her she'd been around something like this before or she just she just didn't care she just wanted to be my friend no matter what and and whenever someone would say something bad like she'd be like who are you? Like, she's fun. Well, we, you know, we'd go hang from the monkey bars or go swing or we'd do any of these things. And then third grade, I mean, how important that is to have friends and to feel included was such a major part of my upbringing, my upbringing, like uh, amongst my peers. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, for the most part, it didn't really get hard with people until about my, my June, my junior high years. It, that's like an awkward moment for everybody, especially like girls and boys trying to figure out how to like intermingle with each other and like hang out. And then you have to throw in like something like missing the limb. And that one was, um, and, and like multiple elementary schools all kind of coming together. So here's people that have never known me before. And so that's, that's kind of whenever it got a little bit harder. And then of course, whenever you get into high school, it's even more and more kids that you don't know. Um, so and my mom always calls it the, the tape recording. She's like, just, re- just rewind the tape. Cause everybody's going to ask you what happened to your leg? And you kind of go, well, I had cancer when I was eight years old, and now I have a prosthetic <laughs> leg because I blah, 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 blah. and like you just kind of like you you kind of go through it. Um, my daughters have heard this story so many times <laughs> that I don't have to say the story anymore to little kids that ask me about my legs. My daughters will chime in. <laughs> she had cancer when she was eight years old, and now she has a robot leg, and she everything. <laughs> And so I, I'm very happy that I now have two tape recorders instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it difficult for you, try, uh, you know, to adjust to having a prosthetic in the beginning? Um, it was out. <sighs> yeah, Gordon, get out. Yeah, well, <laughs> it'll be awesome. <laughs> like this is, this is called mom life. Like, there's never a moment that you ever have any bit of privacy. And I mean, like I could be in the bathroom, like doing a number two and my daughters would want to have a full blown conversation with me. So <laughs> just enjoy people. It'll be interruptions all night. Um, what was the question again? I can't even remember. Uh, what, what was it difficult for you to transition, you know, have, to ha- moving around and just being a kid with a prosthetic? You know, there, no. For the most part, the answer is no. Um, I really got to that point where um, I would I found very inventive ways to get around as a kid, and um, the process of learning to walk again, like they really talk about it. Like this is hard. This isn't the same as like your body. Your brain just kind of like you know sends information down to the rest of your limbs that say do this, and then your limbs do this. Um, but whenever it came down to um, learning how to walk with a prosthesis, like I really had to train to do it. And that's that's a totally different part of your brain um, where you have to move a different part of your body, like your hip, in order to make your leg move how you want it to. So it was very interesting on that part. But um, <laughs> I actually had a with leg when I was first an amputee and a lot of people are like really like you really had a wooden leg yeah I really did like back in the day like in the 80s they weren't designing prosthetics for kids like not really so I mean like my leg was made out of wood some fiberglass and like a rubber foot (laughs) and I had like hinges on the sides that like you would use for like a drawer okay so I mean like it was really inventive I'm serious. Get out. <laughs> I saw the mom look. I'm like, oh, there's a kid in there. <laughs> um, but you know what? I have some really funny stories about some some of the times that I had a wooden leg. 
um, uh, during summer school. Like, you know, I was running around on the sprinklers and getting wet. And as everybody in their adult life understands that wood and water doesn't mix because it eventually will rot. Um, as an eight-year-old kid, I did not understand this concept. So here I am, I'm like running through the sprinklers and like I would run and like the water was like inside my leg and then I would run and then I would squirt out my knee and I'd be like, ah, this is so funny, this is just so funny. <laughs> and, then, and then one day I stepped out of like my babysitter's car and like I, like my leg like just went just snap. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know why you would do such a thing. This is so, what happened? like inside it was like literally like mold and like rots just would rot inside I'm like yeah I think I know what happened now <laughs> <laughs> my bad so, no I figured it out like I even had races on like my crutches and stuff whenever you know if I didn't have my leg on I just I I wanted to be a kid so bad that I was gonna do whatever I could to make it make it happen and you said you know as you got into junior high and high school it got a little more difficult you know it, it is difficult being a kid were yeah were you ever bullied because of you know, of your you know the prosthetic leg or because you had a wood leg I, I imagine there'd be i know if one of my friends had a wood leg there'd be a lot of pirate jokes there'd be so many <laughs> yeah uh i would say that like as i was getting into high school obviously well not obviously at that time once i was finally getting bigger and i didn't i wasn't so small i wasn't really having like wooden legs anymore thank you jesus um but then again like i looked like i was terminator so occasionally like i would get called like terminator or something like that you know like yeah i mean kids are gonna bully like they're just that's just what it is um and a, a good majority of the time is gonna be because they just don't understand they don't get it um so i mean one of the things that i've always advocated for is like look if you can at least like have a specialist kind of come in and explain what has happened, at least it gives like a little bit more sympathy to like what has what has that person gone through in order for them to even be here. And so um, in the third grade, they actually did that for me. Someone came in, explained what cancer was. Like the kids got full blown science, you know, a day of learning Sabrina's um, illness and why she's missing a leg and that kind of set the the standard um even in elementary school so as those friends kind of followed me through life in through junior high and high school like i had the same group most of them you know new people were coming in um but for the most part i mean like those same kids followed me around so if there was ever like any questions or comments i mean most of the time i could at least just know that they were answering it truthfully because they knew they knew exactly what i had been through it there wasn't like I don't know, like made up like shark stories or anything <laughs> that I knew about. <laughs> I'm sure they probably existed, uh, you know, and um, I think the hardest part though was in high school. Well, actually it kind of came out like as I was coming through college. Cause I mean, as a female, like you have such big image issues to begin with as a female, like it's just hard. Growing up junior high, high school, early college years, like you just, to figure out like what the opposite sex is into or the same sex whatever you're into you know you're, you're trying to figure that all out and so my body my body image issues were really a struggle um because i mean like i'd have guys that would be like hey um 
can I get your phone number? And be like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'd give them my phone number and then, you know, um, they'd ask me like what had happened to my leg and I'd tell them, you know, that I'm missing it from the knee down and like I'd never get a phone call or like I'd never see him again. You know, those are like psychologically damaging because you're like, you, you really, you have this whole like, well, you obviously wasn't worth you know, people are always going to tell you all that, but it still kind of hurts, um, regardless if you have a strong mentality or not. Like those moments are going to be hard, and I—I I mean, I was getting it from the media too. It was really hard at that time. Is like you know, I was, you know, rolling into Fullerton, going to college, and I'm listening to K Rock, and you know, the disc jockey there on K Rock, a female disc, disc jockey of all, um, was talking about how like she saw this this you know girl with only one leg at like a spa and how gross that is and no one wants to see that and um that became uh, one of those moments that i like i i actually saw myself really getting angry and it wasn't because i mean it yes it affected me but i was like you know there has to be other amputees that are listening to this stupid radio show and why why would you say something like that like you are creating such damaging mentalities like you have to stop um and you know that that you know just growing up learning how to interact with society image wise was by far the biggest battle of losing my leg younger like i always say like i'm kind of glad i lost it then and not now because this is a whole different battle like you lose it at my age now, like I'm, I'm gonna be 40 in a couple, you know, so many months. Um, <laughs> you start to understand like you've had your limbs your entire life, to lose them now would be hard. That would be a hard transition. And that's a psychologically damaging transition um, in its own right, like its own battle. Um, some people walk through the flames and are like, legs? we don't need no stinking legs. And then you know, there's other people that are like, oh, my life is ruined and I can never do anything ever. So, I mean, we all kind of come to those crossroads that we have to make those decisions on what we're gonna do. Um, but again, you know, I'm just really, really fortunate that I grew up with the kind of the same group of kids that knew me, like me, Sabrina, not just like, hey yeah you know that one-legged girl that like you know walks around campus <laughs> with like you know yellow highlighted hair and stuff like yeah you know that one-legged girl um i guess the the benefits too of like being an athlete was uh so helpful to the cause i was on the wrestling team um and i was also a softball player through this entire time and so just showing them like look i'm not i don't need your sympathy i don't need you to treat me like i'm some disabled kid like i'm i'm fine i'm gonna go play these sports and just watch me that was always kind of been my my motto is like i I don't need i don't need you to treat me differently because i'm missing a limb like i'm i'm still going to be the same person and i and i again you know that that need to be with my community and my friends and play sports was so important that i was going to figure it out no matter what it took did you have that aha moment when you decided that that you know you're not going to let this define you i guess if you will say (laughs) excuse me um you know whether it be you know in high school or at whatever point that you this 
can't, can't think of the way I want to word this question now. I have no idea where you're going. Yeah. With this card. I got you. I got you. Okay. So let me see. It's been a long weekend. Uh, there's no one moment. Like there's never going to be that one moment because this is not, I mean, like each transition in life, you have to go through your ups and downs to get you back to that mentality of like, yeah, why am I caring about what so-and-so thinks of me? You know, you do care, but, um, and, and you're going to do dumb stuff to like impress people. Like I've done that. I I don't know. Are we on like 1,563 times that I've tried to impress somebody, <laughs> somebody by doing something dumb? You know, I, I've done that. And again, you know, it's that, it's that need to feel part of something, but then you start to realize you're like, wow, I'm doing some really, really dumb stuff. Maybe it means I shouldn't really care what they think and I should just be doing my own thing. And so those aha moments, like I said, kind of like just kind of fall in there occasionally while when you're in the midst of doing dumb crap <laughs> that you're like, wow, maybe I should just not do this. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you move on to the next transition. And the, and the irony of it all is that when you just start being you, and you and I mean like I, I always have I also have a very very strong faith like I should only care what God thinks of me not what other people think of me and I'm there now I haven't always been there but like I'm there now um, when you don't care what other people think that's when they like you it's so funny and I, I, I go wow this is like the worst kind of irony is that the more and more you try and impress people, the more that they're like, yeah, I don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got to do my own thing and whatever works. To, to back it up a little bit, I mean, was it difficult for you? Or you talked about you're your having wood leg and you didn't know that water can rot out wood and it broke. Was it tough for you afterwards to, tr- you know, then having, I'm assuming they went back to a wood leg at that time to replace it? Was yeah. it hard for you to be responsible and take care of that? And was it stressful for your parents to make sure that you were taking care of it? Uh, you know, I don't even really remember like how that all went down afterwards. Um, but you know, I'm, I just remember my mom just kind of like, look, I don't care what you do, go be a kid. And that right there was huge for me because my mom, my mom was at least accepting of like, look, she has to be a kid. And if you deny her being a kid, like that's really hard. Um, and my mom's been my biggest advocate to try and make sure I always got the right technology. But it also came down to my prosthetists. Like my prosthetists were like, yeah, it happens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure the next one's green treated. It'll be right. fine. <laughs> get, that, get that yellow wood next time. Right. <laughs> you know like it takes a really strong community is a a strong support group to kind of um give you those grace moments that you really really need as you're trying to learn um how to do how to just fit in and how to work through life um and you know again that that comes in ebbs and flows as well and i mean that's that's why i'm with amputee blade runners i just so happen to you know be like my nerdy self I'm secretly nerdy, secretly. Don't tell anybody. Um, but I like I geek out on like researching things, and so you know, here I am. I'm researching pros, you know, uh, prosthetists in in and around Nashville because 
you know, I knew I, I had gone like seven years on doing my own prosthetic work. I thought it was maybe time I go see a professional, maybe. So I, you know, started researching prosthetists in Nashville and I came across Aaron and, um, Aaron Fitzsimmons is a prosthetist with amputee blade runners. He and, and Ryan Fan had started the organization. We kind of covered that in the last episode with Josh. And um, I show I show up and I'm like really skeptical because I, I just like I didn't know if he was going to be this one and done type of like, all right, I'll slap a leg on you and send you out, you know, <laughs> door enjoy make it work you know type of person because there's a lot of prosthetists that are out there they're like they're one and done like they fit you they put it on you and they're like see you in three years uh whenever insurance pays for it we'll see you back here and that's really hard because you know especially um as you are my body was changing i just had my second child and um i'm like 30 pounds overweight <laughs> from what I was, you know, like beforehand. And I just told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm a very, very highly active person. I love cycling. I love biking. I love doing all these things with my family. I, you know, it's important for me to keep up with my girls. And he was like, well, what do you, what do you think about running? And I said, well, um, I don't, <laughs> I, I really don't. Um, and he's like, okay. He's like, well, we have this organization called Amputee Blade Runners. If you wanted to, you could apply and we could get you a running blade. You know, here I am 29 years being an amputee and I had never had the opportunity to have a running blade. And um, just having that mention, like, really? Like I, I could get a running blade? Like, really? Uh, and finally being able to test one out and start running on it, it was just such a pivotal change to my lifestyle, being able to keep up with everything. Because I was running, but I wasn't running very well because I was running on like what we called a brick, pretty much. It was a cinder block. <laughs> and I'm trying to make this work and I'm doing CrossFit at this time. And you know, I'm like, I'm really trying to get back into fitness because I knew I needed to. Um, and uh, I kind of like made made things work, but then whenever I got this running blade and I'm running on a running blade instead of running on a slender block, I'm like, wow, what? Where has this been my whole life? <laughs> this would have been nice. Uh, but you know, again, yeah, you, know, you have to count it as a blessing at the time that you get something like that, and in and not waste it. I didn't want to waste it, so you know, this is my third year running Ragnar with MPT Blade Runners, and I couldn't be happier. I still am not a fan of running. I'm not gonna lie. Sorry, Aaron, but um, <laughs> I do it as necessary evil because you know it's part of fitness. It's, you know, being able to run with my kids and being able to um, be part of a community again. Here I am. You know, community is huge, 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 huge part of my life. Being part of a group um, like Amputee Blade Runners, we're an all amputee running team that runs a 200 mile relay and. You know, we kick butt doing it, and 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 if anything, it's again just showing people like, please don't treat us like we're invalids. Like we're out here, we're doing our thing too, just like you guys are. Um, we're running for cause because we want more running blades for these kids and adults that want to be healthier, um, healthy or healthier, and just have the ability with technology to be able to go out and do some of these things that insurance would be like, what? 
you want to run. We don't have to make you run. You walk and we're good. And you kind of go, all right. You know, like there's not much you can do. Um, I feel like insurance should be more like on top of the running thing, because if you're running, then they have to pay out less in the long run. Like it seems very short sighted that they'd be like, no, no, no. Unless you're fine. running down a steep hill on gravel post rain, healthcare <laughs> would actually mean they would have to pay less. This is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it seems like a no brainer. Be like, let me see here. If I have healthier people, I don't have to pay as much money for their health bills. Hmm. But no, we don't want to pay for a running blade because that's too expensive. Like, that, that's crazy talk. <laughs> you, know you know what's expensive? Diabetes and like health issues with your heart. Those mm-hmm. are expensive. Or high school or playing rugby and into college. And I, well, I had my, my so my doctor, uh, her husband also played rugby for a rival team. And so every time I came in there limping or holding my arm in a sling, she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, what did you do this time? And I can almost hear my insurance company cringe on the other side. You shouldn't get insurance when you're a rugby player. (laughs) Oh, I still have my parents then. (laughs) There's a reason why I don't play anymore. (laughs) How much of a big change have you seen in the technology in in the last 30 or so years, especially joining or hooking up with ABR? Oh, my gosh. It's been extravagant. Like I said, you know, coming out... (laughs) With a wooden leg right off the bat whenever <laughs> yeah. yeah go up from there like you just go up from there uh, and I mean titanium alloys carbon graphite uh, you know computerized knees were were uh, coming out you know uh, even whenever I was you know a teenager so I mean leaps and bounds all the time leaps and bounds and you know I'm I'm a firm believer that we should we should be researching everything that we can to like make mobility better. Um, but when I say like mobility better, I mean like better for the body, not easier for the patient. And I think that that's one of those things where um, sometimes technology kind of goes above and beyond the call of duty. Like I grew up as an amputee so that's obviously going to put me in a a kind of a different category than someone who's just losing their limb now but um i don't i don't need something to move my leg for me um and it also has to do with how much uh limb i have left and there's some people that have a lot higher amputations so what i'm about to say is not a one size fits all for everybody so don't be text messaged me (laughs) and all that fun stuff later giving me smack okay i'm saying this works for most not all if you aren't working out like all of your body and that includes what we call our stump or our residual limb um you're putting yourself at a disadvantage for later like boom just end of story i don't care how much limb you have or how little you have um you have to be working out your entire body because it is something that is a part of how you you know are mobile and ambulate like you you have to use it when we have things like computerized knees that are working legs for for individuals instead of them actually building muscle to do it themselves we're putting those um 
APTs at a disadvantage. So, I, I mean, like, I, I'm, again, firm believer, I love technology, blah, 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 technology, until it, like, becomes so convenient that people all of a sudden get lazy, and then I'm like, yeah, don't do that. That's bad. Um, my thing is, is that give me something that is, one, not going to break. <sighs> Boom. I love when things don't break. To something that's going to actually be lightweight enough that it's going to be um, enjoyable to use it and not painful to use it. Don't make it painful for me. Like, and if you're if you're slapping a five pound foot on me, like one, that's just ridiculous. Um, two, it's not going to do anything for me that I really need it to do. Like, give me the products that I would like to make sure that you know. Like, I've I've ripped through knees being as active as I have, I've like blown them up. And and I've had prosthetists that were like, I've never seen this happen before. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. There's always a first time. Right. So um we, you know, we just kind of like kept saying, like, look, this is not the one that's gonna work for. Just saying, not gonna work. So, you know, you walk out of the ball and you're covered with hydraulic fluid because you just blew up your knee. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, um, uh, again, you know, just glad for the technology and, and the people willing to, to try new things and create new things, like using their MacGyver brains to um, to invent things that, you know, work. And, you know, Aaron has been kind of a key component with that too, is just, you know, helping helping design certain things. And I, I really feel like, you know, we need to kind of bend towards that mentality of, it's not about me going to a prosthetist and them slapping a leg on and sending me out the door and see you in three years. We need to move towards the, okay, let's slap a leg on you, but if it doesn't work, come back and see me. We'll redo, the, we'll redo it if we need to. Like, we wanna make sure you have something that is for you but we're also going to show you how to do certain things so that you're you're not having to come see me all the time for a minor thing and you know that education and that community and the parents getting involved and the and the kids building their own legs like how cool is that like you know these kids get to say i built this and um I just think that that's that's a better community, a better response to everything that's going on, and especially whenever you learn about the technology that's available out there. There's still so many people that are out in the dark that just don't know what is available and what is what is something that they would be capable to do if they had said technology. So, but yeah, I mean, like like I said, you know, you start off with a wooden leg, you're going up from there. It just, it's <laughs> You said, you know, you've said you've like blown out the knee and such. Did that start with, you know, when you got into strong woman or was that before you said you mentioned you're doing CrossFit and such? Uh, yeah, I think it was just mostly just with using it so frequently because <laughs> I was <laughs> running on it. I was burning up the hydraulic fluid and then like it would all of a sudden just explode everywhere. And then finally from like the third knee, we had sent it two of them back and had to get refurbished and everything they're like just switch out the knee just give her something else she's this is just <laughs> not capable of handling her so they ended up giving me one that like Bert, you know could breathe a little bit better and i still had the hydraulics and stuff like that on it but like i turned them all down like i just i just don't i just need something that's free swinging i can make this work on my own so don't don't worry like i i got this just just slap it 
a hinge on me. I've made it the past. So. And speaking of strong women, when did you start looking at competing in that, and why did you try to go that or choose to go that route versus other sports that aren't like like you said in the video, uh, the Nat Geo video? People in strongman are mental, and you kind of have to be. It's a special kind of crazy that goes. I want to pick up three hundred pound weights and carry them for a few hundred feet. Yeah. <laughs> um. Should I tell you that I did it on a dare? Because <laughs> uh, So my friend John Stitt, who actually um, I'd heard about him after I was doing CrossFit, um, and Aaron had told me about it. You know about John whenever I'd gone into the app, he's like, "Yeah, there's this guy, you know, that's one of my clients that does strongman or whatever." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." Like, totally, like, was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" And then, like, just dismissed it. And so it's like I came into church one day, and um, and he looks down at my foot and he's like, "Cool foot," and I go, "Yeah," and I look at his foot and it's like, "Oh, we have the same foot. This is so cool." He's like, "He's like, hi, I'm John." And I said, hi, I'm Sabrina. He's like, I, I'm guessing we both go to the same process. Like, we're part of a club now, you know, like, this, like, hey, we have the same foot. We're, we're part of this club. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Are you the guy that, like, lifts weights and stuff like that? Are you a strong man? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And so um, we kind of became buddies. And he, out of the blue, was like, look, we have no females competing in disabled strongman we need females and I you know I know you lift weights right now and I think you can handle this and I, and I said what do you mean you think I can handle what <laughs> so he starts kind of like going through with you know Chris Baccio has been uh, a, a leader for disabled strongman and I mean we say the term lightly I mean I think John's like trying to make it into like something like uh, strong, strong sports for people who can't walk good or something like that. I don't know what he's trying to do, but anyways, um, you know, Chris Vaccio is here. They're both trying to tell me like all of the events for um, this America's Strongest. They're like, yeah, yeah, you just gotta like, you know, these like two hundred pound sandbags from like from from one you know uh, spot to another, and then you're gonna pull this car, and then you gotta like do a biking cross. <laughs> Easy peasy. They're like running down, and then there's this, you know, Hercules hole that you got to do. I'm like, half of this stuff, I didn't even know what they were talking about. All I know is that I had watched Strongman growing up, you know, and I was like, that's really cool. Like these huge muscular guys doing these, you know, really fun events. And I was like, this is just weird, but it's so cool. And um, I said, you know, John, I like maybe weigh a buck 30 right now. Like, I don't know if I can do all this. He's like, oh, I think you should be fine. And I was like, okay. Good shot. How how long do I have to train? Uh about two months. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so here I go, like the next day I start trying I'm and of course you can't ever say like I'm I'm uh practicing these events or you get like reamed from every strong <laughs> strong person. And you know they're like practicing. You don't practice, you train. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, okay sorry but I mean like mentally I had to prepare for it because I was like uh, I gotta see what I'm capable of but that was the best part about it is that like just noticing that I was capable of doing things that I never knew I was capable of doing and just pushing the boundaries and so it's like here I, I was like 
I was freaking out. I, I think, you know, I'm in my Bible study and I'm crying. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this strongman competition. I'm freaking out. And everybody's kind of like praying. I'm like, I just, I just don't know if I can do it. And um, I show up to this competition, like I'm totally overwhelmed and I don't know what's gonna happen. And here's the five events and you know, the first event, like I didn't even, I, I think I might've gotten one point. And I was like, oh, this is a great start to this. This is awesome. <laughs> um, and, you know, my competition, who's Amber um, Stoffel, she actually uh, was competing against me in America's the first time around, which I had talked her into doing it. Uh, she did it She did on a dare. Um, <laughs> and, so here we are competing against each other. And then, like, we'd known each other from Crossroads Adaptive Alliance before because we were competing against each other well, not against each other because we have an upper and lower division in Crossroads, but um, you know we were at the same competitions for CrossFit. So I was like, yeah, if I can do it, you can do it. And um, she's like busts out like 12 and I did one. And I'm like, okay, this is gonna be great. So, you know, tip for tap, really like all of the events were kind of, um, they would either be good for upper body or, or lower body, you know, limb differences. And so here we come down to the fifth event and we're tied. Like we, we're, we're neck to neck and neck on our scoring. So it's really gonna take this carpool in order for us to um, deem the winner. And so um, I like, I think I beat her by like one second on this carpool. It was super neck and neck. And I mean, she's such a strong, strong um, competitor. And, you know, it just, uh, walking away with a belt, um, my first strongman was was very um, eye-opening. Like I definitely felt that I had more capabilities um, in my body than my mind could fathom. But it also was one of those things where I sat there and I was like, all right, so what's next? And you, how, how do you top that? Like, how do you sit there and you go, okay, well, I've already done this. Um, so now what? You know, and you don't say like, I'm going to Disneyland. You, you go like, no, like really, what, what are we going to do next time? <laughs> and uh, so I competed in able-bodied um, strongman and um, at Strasburg uh, in Illinois. And then again at um, Ragnarok in uh Oceanside, California, and then like went on to go compete in um, 2017 at World Strongest in London and took second. And you know, and amazingly enough, uh, Amber had turned around and took first in Worlds. So here I was, America's Strongest. She was World Strongest, and we were—I mean, like it was like always right in the world again. So uh, <laughs> we're still friends. We're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't kill each other. Um, but that's the cool thing. That That's the one thing I like about Strongman more than I like about anything else is that there's a lot of cheering each other on that you don't get from other sports. Like, you don't cheer on the other baseball team whenever you're trying to beat them. Like, that's just not how those types of sports happen. But whenever it comes down to Strongman, it's a total, like, uh, craziness about the sport is that you're willing to watch other competitors and cheer them on even if it means that they beat you like you want them to do their best because you love watching it and you love watching people succeed and 
and that's just a totally different dynamic to this sport compared to anything else so and that's that's what kind of shocked me the most when I went to my first competition is the camaraderie and how much coaching because I was in the novice division but you know and I'm I, I for the guys in the the heavyweight class I swear I need a bell around my neck so they didn't step on me but they're sitting there like oh here's a different way to grip this or do the the other thing and you can yeah. get just a couple in, more inches out of you know the the um, endurance like the Conan's wheel and stuff like that yeah I hired a coach because I was you know, the same way I was seeing strongman on TV and there's these guys lifting up boulders the size of me. It's like, what the hell is this nonsense? And years later, I just got bored and happened to find a coach and work with them. Did you do the same or did you go the self-taught route? Um, you know what? I definitely thought that there is, there is a huge benefit to hiring a, a coach and especially whenever they're a professional strongman. Um, it, <laughs> there was so much I didn't know about strongman that it was just not going to be something that I could do on my own. It was like, I didn't know what I didn't know. So, um, I went through Lifa, um, for a while for some of my competitions and, um, she's just wonderful. She's really easy to work with, um, with unicorn, um, strength. And, um, I just really loved having programming that I didn't have to think about. Like, how amazing is it that like a sheet shows up in your email and you go, okay. And you're like, you go on with like your eight week programming and you're like, I don't have to think about any of this. I just have to write down numbers. It's like a beautiful thing. Um, and you know, to watch your numbers grow through programming is, is again, just those milestones that you, you don't realize how far you've come until you can look back and be like, wow, I was only lifting that at the beginning of this eight weeks. And now here I am. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I think at my peak for my, one of my first trainings, I was back squatting like 330 pounds. And for someone on a, on one leg, that's a lot. And Leaf was like, are you serious? And I like, I'm, I'm sending your videos. Like I knew exactly, you know, I was like, I know what's going to come down. It's like, someone's going to be like, yeah, you're not doing that. <laughs> um, but here I am like, you know, as irony would have it, my powerhouse are my legs, not my arms. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing crazy, crazy builds on being able to squat. Whereas at like my upper body strength, I'm like, I'm still struggling at 110. (laughs) (laughs) It was rough. It was really, really rough, but, um, you know, just super supportive. Um, I'm actually doing, um, a, uh, uncaged training program with Jamie pop Christensen right now. Um, and she's just another powerhouse you know, that comes out of strong woman that, I mean, she's put on Ragnarok. I've competed at two of her shows and, you know, they're just beautiful people. Um, they're there to, um, share their knowledge. And I mean, well, how wonderful is that is to sit there and be like, this is what I learned. Don't do these things, do these things, save time, save money. And you kind of go, all right, thanks. And again, you know, that, that program shows up in your email and you don't have to think, I mean, as a, my husband's gone all the time, you know, like I'm a military spouse. My husband's been gone almost two years um, in Korea. I have two little girls that I've been raising kind of on my own most of the time. You know, I've had support throughout, like whether it be friends on military bases or family or what have you, but you know, like <laughs> to program my own stuff at that point, I was like, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I like, yeah, I'm not, I can't brain, I can't adult right now. No, I can't. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I definitely think that if you're coming in and you're new, 
you don't have to hire someone who's on the pro circuit, but I mean, it, if it's something that you really are, are looking to do, you know, find someone who's good at programming stuff. Like I, you know, my buddy John programs a lot for himself and, you know, I've also gone through, um, not necessarily, uh, through programming, but I mean, Derek Stone allowed me to work out in, in his gym. Um, for gosh, that full year of me trying to get ready for the next America's Strongest. And, you know, I, I, again, you know, still battle with self-confidence and my abilities of what I can do and constantly trying new things and trying to build muscle. But at the same time, you know, I, I know that there, if I ever have a question or, uh, I know like, look, I'm plateauing on this. What's going on? <laughs> Um, they're always there for uh, the, the good advice and the pep talks, especially whenever I'm like, I'm so tired of doing this. <laughs> I can't spend five more days in the gym. Because by the end of your eight-week programming, like you are like ready to just sit on the couch for a little while. And, and it's good for you to do that. And you, you have to have breaks. Your body needs breaks too. But It's week seven, yeah. eight, my program that because I have a few different programs I'd kind of jump around with and we'll use those skeletons now, but it's by week seven, week eight. It's like, why the hell am I doing this? Yeah, I was like, why did I think this was a good idea? <laughs> why, who talked me into this? No, yeah. And, and, and the, but in the scheme of it all, the one thing that keeps me going is who I am character-wise when I've had my workout or... Uh, are, am training for something like I have to be working towards a goal um, I, I would love to say I'm self-motivated but like I'm really more motivated at like setting a goal by like signing up for something crazy and then going like okay now what uh, getting the training in that I need to in order to not look like a fool when I show up <laughs> um, but um, just such a better I'm a much better person when I've had the that uh, energy release in the gym. I'm a better mom to my kids. You know, I don't yell at them as much, which is good. <laughs> you know? And um, I tend to be a better community member, and I tend to be a better wife. Uh, at least I hope my husband would say that. I think he would. Um, but yeah, you know, I just um, I love the Sabrina that comes out of the gym versus the Sabrina that doesn't go to the gym. And that's just what keeps me motivated on continuing to do this. I mean, I feel, I feel better. I'm, you know, I'm strong, I'm healthy. I have more confidence in myself and my abilities. Um, I'm a very humble person. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like I, I really feel that, um, I do have a lot of capabilities, which I don't think that confidence is a bad thing at all. Like I really, really don't. Um, but at the same time, you know, being able to come out of it and, and know what works for you and and, then physical fitness period, like you can be swimming, um, playing golf, uh, both you, you do you, but do something because you know, you don't you don't use it you lose it and that's just how muscles work and and so i always try and promote that and again you know, i love that this has kind of been like the the catalyst for me being invited on things like this um but also being invited to coach limb different kids i mean that has been a huge 
um, part of my heart and just being able to give back to kids uh, that are going through some of the same challenges that I went through whenever I was growing up. And I mean, it's not like I had social media back in the day, <laughs> back in the 80s, and we were barely getting into like AOL and uh, what is it? The, uh, the IRC chats. <laughs> yeah, but I saw the... I find anybody that like me. Now these kids have the capabilities of finding coaches that look like them. And I saw you sent me the article and I also saw it uh, going through a few different forums that I follow of you're coaching a kid uh, doing a box jump. And, you know, I don't jump if I unless I absolutely have to. But he had was he born with or was it an amputation? He doesn't have both of his arms are gone. And yeah, Tim Bannon uh, lost both of his arms. or He was born with no arms is what I should say. Um, his mom is actually... Uh, also born with no arms so Tim had been coming to that camp for years and um, this was our last 35 seconds with him just so you know <laughs> and you know me yelling at him was all part of the process it's very it motivating <laughs> <laughs> um, we just we're, we're not going to pat people on the back at Camp Nobility so this is this all happened, happened at um, Camp Nobility which is in Duquoin, Illinois and um, it's not a camp that's like, oh, you showed up, little Timmy. Here's a medal. <laughs> like we just don't do that. We we train our our athletes because all of our kids are athletes that are going to go back into their able-bodied world, and they're going to have to compete with other kids who have all their limbs. So we want to make sure that they are at that performance level that they can show up and they can show people what they're capable of not just talk a good game and um it is that moment whenever tim jumps on that box that you can tell that it was important for him to show everybody like look he he had come in in the very very beginning you know talking about bullying and talking about kids treating him badly at school and I'm like I, I know exactly what you're going through like I, I know exactly what you're going through and so for me it was important for him to get pushed so that he could see what he was capable of because it's it's all up here right like we're all up here all the time we're always thinking like I can't oh I couldn't do that oh I'm, that's too hard you know like we all we all are like that we're so much in our head and Tim the first team our first workout that we had programmed had box jumps in it. I was like, literally like this kid should be able to do box jumps. No problem. Not understanding completely what it would be like to fall without arms. Uh, I, I do admit that he's like, yeah, I don't think I can do box, box jumps like that. So we started him off on like something small and like just gradually built up. And I mean, like he was getting higher and higher and higher. I don't know if you can see in the video, but he, like he jumped like at least two to three inches above that box it was just so thrilling for him to accomplish that because again he had so many doubts in his mind he would look down at the box and like it's like looking down into a canyon and being af afraid of heights so you know yeah we're gonna push our kids yeah sometimes that means we yell at them but in love we, we do it all in love and you know we give them hugs at the end um you know because we know like it's it's hard to get out of your head and and do what you need to do 
Um, but yeah, we, we love that video. We are super surprised that it went as viral as it did. And I mean, Brad, uh, Vineyard, he's, um, the head strength and conditioning coach that he kind of like, he posted that video and man, it just, um, but you know, we're glad that we're glad that it happened and he, and it's because camps like Nevability need eyes on it because what we do for these kids is again, you know, creating community, creating a, a moment where they have that, just that little bit of confidence to like light the fire. So, um, again, you know, I, I'm glad that it did. I'm also glad that like my face isn't in the video. Like, where, like, all of a sudden, I had like all of these random people that are like, I saw you on this video. But amazingly enough, even with my back to the camera, I still had some people that are like, is this you? Is this you? I know this is you. I know this is you. This has to be you. I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's me. So how do you balance? <clears throat> I'm glad to be there how do you balance your workout schedule life, you know, and you're traveling, you're doing the, you're working with this camp and finding time to be with your family and you know, everything else that life likes to throw at us. Uh, I think it's called a calendar. Um, sometimes I write things <laughs> down in it. I've, I've, I've heard of those. I've never actually seen one. <laughs> um, you know, but the, the best part about it is like you can write everything down in your calendar, but looking at it's probably the best part about it is whenever you can actually like remember to look at it and you're like, oh yeah, I got that one thing coming up. Um, you know, I just trying to be as organized as possible. Uh, I've definitely been in a a season of struggle just because we're, you know, we're, we're going through transitions all the time as a military family because we're moving around. And so in new environments and new schedules and new this and new that, sometimes it is hard to balance it all. And it is a lot. Um, but, um, you know, I get up at 4.15 a.m. I get my workout in first thing in the morning, get it done. Then I don't have to figure out where I figure it that into my schedule the rest of the day it's just i'm in I, I i work my butt off i come home i drink my coffee and then i continue on with my day you know and um i'm that's been a key component to being successful is is doing that first so that i don't have to figure out or where i get a workout in around the rest of my life um and you know i i'm secretly a navy seal and and it's because i get up that early in the morning I read an article one time that's like, yeah, Navy SEALs get up at like three o'clock in the morning to work out. And I was like, wow, maybe I'm secretly a Navy SEAL. <laughs> There's a former SEAL. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Jocko something or another. Every morning he takes a picture of his watch and it says 4.30 a.m. And it's like clockwork. And even on the weekends, like, I mean, the gym will be there at six, right? <laughs> <laughs> And it will, it totally will. I mean, it's whatever works for everybody's schedule, but you know, um, with having two little girls, like it is the most uh, crazy life that you can ever have is having kids that you just like randomly, all of a sudden, one of them is sick or one of them is, is, you know, A, B, or C, just pick a situation, you know, or, you know, my oldest struggles with math. And so we're sitting here doing homeschool for an extra hour trying to figure out like the tense 
place, the ones place, and the hundredth place. Like, okay, like this, this is things that you don't really think about until all of a sudden you're in there and you're like, wow, this is not what I planned for today. Um, but, you know, I, again, you know, I just try and get what I can done when I can get it done. Um, and again, just kind of keeping a calendar, keeping a to-do to list to the best of my ability and I get done what I get done. Tomorrow is a new day and I can just switch those little ones that I didn't get done onto the next list and you know, carry on with life. I'm not gonna beat myself up about not getting everything done. I just can't. Um, and for anyone listening who has had an amputation uh, or perhaps they might be looking at a surgical amputation, do you have any advice for them? Um, yeah, I mean, probably the best advice that I can tell anybody who's either a new amputee or about to become an amputee is um, you're currently going through the fear of the unknown. Like you don't know what it's going to be like. And it's like the same thing as like whenever you, you woke up or you slept the night before you started high school. Like you have no idea what it's going to be like. So there's fears, there's doubts, there's, there's um, you know, um, just all these preconceived notions of what life is going to be like. But until you actually step foot, pun totally intended, um, step foot <laughs> in that new situation, um, you really don't know what it's going to be like. So you have to give yourself some grace to understand that like you will figure it out. You will, but you have to want to figure it out. And you have to want to, to do all of these things um, to be the same athlete that you were, to ride your motorcycle again, to uh, walk, run, uh, swim, do whatever. Um, the motivation has to be there. So there's just, I always call it the trifecta. The way I can keep mentally sane is that I have three things in my life. One, I have community, always have community. You always have to have people around you that are gonna be willing to um, just spend time with you. Like it doesn't even have to be pep talks all the time. Just sometimes it's just coffee and like shoot the crap. Two, you need to physically take care of yourself. Like always have something that, it, it, nature hikes, walks, swim aerobics. I don't care what you choose, do something, okay? And then really just having something that's beyond you. Um, and it's just a form of spirituality. Like, okay, so I, I picked Christianity. That doesn't have to be you, but it has to be something that's beyond you. And that can be where you find like, you know, um, helping others. And uh, sometimes that's just what you need. Um, to kind of feel like that sanity about you. Going through being an amputee or getting an amputation, like it's older than there is the physical. Um, the physical can be hard, but the mental is 10 times worse unless you can battle that. And I think that as long as you can kind of find your own balance um, and, and do what you do, what you can do, you know, and like there's always that meme that's like, why do you run? Because I can. And, uh, and it's so true. It's like, why do you do this? It's because I can, I can do this. Um, there's people out there and I'm not gonna try to say like they have it worse because I don't feel that way. But there are people that, that wish that they could do certain things. Um, and, you know, I just feel like what a waste for us to, to not use everything that we have and be able to just come out, you know, shining at the other end. 
because I mean, everybody has it in them, but don't give up the first week, the first month, the first year. I didn't all of a sudden make it to where I was because I, I, you know, woke up and said, I'm going to lift this 300 pound, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like I just, it doesn't work like that. You have to take just like you went from kindergarten to first grade to second grade to third grade you didn't go from kindergarten to 12th grade it's all in steps so there was a moment where I was only running 100 meters and I was winded and I was in pain and I struggled and then I went to running a half marathon this past April so it but it took me time like it took me years it didn't take me 10 days so we have to keep it in perspective is you know yeah, you're struggling now, but keep up the work. And one day you're going to look back and be like, wow, look at how far I've come. Because <laughs> it really, uh, literally will happen. And if someone's looking at starting strongman, I mean, would you offer any advice for them? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> As Casey nods. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good plan. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> It's like, it's like, you know, the people, the people that are like, you know, smoking cigarettes and be like, don't smoke kid. It's bad for you. You know, like I feel, I really do love strongman. Um, I, you know, the cool thing about strongman and if people wanted to get into strongman, I think it's great is it is the, um, most entertaining and surprising sport that I have ever been into because you're watching things that are the weirdest thing ever. And especially like Chris Baccio would come up with like some of the weirdest things for people to look like, yeah, I found this hi- fire hydrant. <laughs> and I think that that would be a good idea to press this. And you go, really? And, but I mean, like it was so fun to watch everybody do it. And people were excited to say, look what I did. I pressed a fire hydrant. And contrary to belief, like th- those things are freaking heavy. <laughs> so they're very, very heavy. Um, but you know, those are the fun things. Like, you know, everybody still will remember, you know, me pulling a fire engine and they're like, that was the best. I can't believe you pulled a fire engine. And no one else can really say that unless they're in strongman. Yeah. And, and that's, those are the fun stories that you get to tell at like, you know, dinner parties and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know? It's totally part of my conversation. I talk about strongman all the time. Right. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. And thank you for everyone that's been tuning into the episode. Make sure to follow the show on Twitch where you can tune into the show and join the conversations live. Just head over to twitch.tv slash rules of the arena. You can find this episode and all others on blindninjastudios.com slash ROA. Also available for download and streaming on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and CastBox. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can watch this live recording of previous episodes. And don't forget to check out my new show called No Story Left Behind, a podcast featuring military veterans talking about their careers while serving in the armed forces. If you'd like to support the shows, there are a couple ways you can help out. Please make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also support the show directly by heading to patreon.com slash rules of the arena podcast. I have a couple ways that you can help out there. And if you'd like to get a hold of me directly, please shoot me an email to roapodcast at info at gmail.com. Thanks again, folks, and we will catch you next time.